welcome to episode five of series seven of State of Mind. I still can't believe I've been doing this podcast for this long. So thank you so much to all of you that listen regularly. My name is Grace Kingswell. I'm a nutritional therapist. And today I am talking to Karen O'Donoghue, founder of The Happy Tummy Co. And we are discussing her journey from chronic IBS and PMS to none of the above by way of a high fiber diet, her magic poo bread and an intense exploration into truly healthy baking. We also talk about how you should never buy bread from a supermarket. Um, and how supermarkets are curating our store cupboards and our fridges when really for our gut health we should be looking elsewhere. I learned a lot in this episode and it was such a joy to chat to Karen. One of the things I found most fascinating was our discussion around how when you bake bread the microbiome of your skin is what comes into contact with the loaf um, and loads of other interesting tidbits along the way. On the topic of gut health, I am beyond grateful to have Key Kefir sponsoring this episode again. Have you tried their kefir yet? And if not, why not? I regularly put kefir on the supplement plans for my gut-focused clients and see huge improvements in histamine symptoms, IBS, energy and general well-being. Kefir, in case you're not aware, is fermented milk that's naturally abundant in probiotic bacteria that supports and nourishes our microbiome. This in turn has a hugely positive knock-on effect for our systemic health. Key produce their kefir with the finest milk made from cows feeding only on organic and regenerative pastures, and this ensures the tastiest, most nutritionally dense probiotic that money can buy. Key are on a mission to create a drinks company that truly honours what it means to be healing to the planet and people. These guys are the real deal. Their packaging is also 100% recyclable and bottled in glass. If you would like to try Key Kefir's truly exceptional health drink, just go to their website and use the code SOM15. That's capital S, capital O, capital M, 15. Um, to get 15% off your first order. Just so you know, key of key kefir is spelled K-I, not K-E-Y. So when you're Googling them, it's K-I kefir. So hope you enjoy this episode. If you do, share it with your friends. Okay, here we go. live. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today, Karen. How are you? Yeah, very well. Thanks, Grace. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm really excited to talk to you today. And um, like I said in one of my emails to you, I'm just really looking forward to talking about the person rather than the the symptom or the condition today, because the podcast up until now has been quite focused on um, you know, particular conditions within nutritional therapy and health and wellness. But I'm just fascinated fascinated to hear about you and your journey and everything that you're doing with the Happy Tummy Co. So without further ado, tell us a little bit about you and why you founded the Happy Tummy Co and your ethos, etc. Okay. Um so I was born with uh well, I describe it as being I was born with chronic IBS. Um so when I was a baby, my nappies were always clean. Um and I guess that uh that was my whole life you know I grew up um suffering with constipation IBS um sometimes going for two weeks without a single bowel movement 
Um, and so kind of just grew up accepting the fact that like I was just different to the rest of my family. We were a really healthy family, really outdoorsy. My parents were horticulturists and farmers. Um, and I guess the older I got, the more perplexed I got around the fact that my sister and brother were uh, different to me mm. in terms of like their body shape and stuff. Um, and I guess my whole life, I was just very, very used to having a very, very bloated stomach and toilet time being really, really uncomfortable. Mm. Um, and so in my uh, early 20s, I was in a pretty uh, stressful job um, and it just got, got worse. And I, I think in my teenage years um, and then into my early 20s, that's when I when I really noticed kind of my mental health uh, go a bit off. Um, I had a lot of physical inflammation around different areas of my body. Um, and I guess coming from a family, a very sciencey family, uh, and one where we really did believe in food as nourishment, um, I went about looking at how I was processing the food I was making, uh, to make it more uh, digestible and to ensure I was assimilating the nourishment from that food. Mm. And so, um, I, since I was 10 years, my mom had cancer when I was very young and ultimately died of cancer. And so I guess going on that journey with her of a prescriptive approach to health, which you have to do obviously when you have cancer, but also her being really open-minded to spirituality and more the healing side of things, uh, that had a huge, huge effect on how I viewed the world. Um, mm. And I, I really believed that there was this space for both, you know, and both to really work in unison together. Um, and so I guess as a family unit, you know, going through having a parent get cancer so young and seeing really the devastating effects of that on us and the community around us. Um, from a very young age, I believed that one day I would create a brand that stood for preventative medicine. Mm. And, and that is my driving force, right? That's what I'm hugely passionate about is extending one's life through eating and living in a certain way. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, my early 20s, I kind of spent um, 18 months reading, I would say on average, seven science papers a day that were coming out on microbiome science at the time. Um, and then basically with the research that I was seeing, and with the facts that were coming out of university studies around the world, I kind of created these equations based on how I saw the, the gut to work. Um, and on top of these mathematical equations placed ingredients that would give me the right amount of dietary fiber, dietary protein to the various vitamins and minerals that were particularly essential for people like me that were trying to relieve a chronic mm. kind of autoimmune issue. Um, and so out of that 18 month period came the first product that ultimately went on to launch the Happy Tummy Co. Um, and I tested that product on maybe 100 people with IBS at the time. And these were people that had a mix of constipation and diarrhea or just one form or one type or, or a mix. And, and the product worked for everyone. Um, so for people suffering with diarrhea, it really stabilized uh, th their condition. And then for people like me with constipation, um, it allowed us to have a bowel movement every day. Amazing. Um, and so uh, Shorter Chase actually found out about what I was doing at the time. Um, and the they asked me to come and give a talk one Saturday morning to 200 of their members. And at that time, Grace, I was actually considering becoming a dietitian because around that time, I was very conscious that I was someone with a science and maths like uh, background, particularly growing up and stuff. But I wasn't qualified. Mm. Um, 
And at the time, and really up until recently, I think there's been a lot of backlash on people trying to uh, nurse people that don't maybe have a qualification in science. Yeah. Um, and so I struggled with that. And I thought maybe I should just really just 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 go at the training. But after that talk, I gave in shortage house with 200 faces looking at me so desperately for a product that wasn't on the shelves around the UK at the time. I just decided, you know what, the best thing I could do right now is is build a bakery mm. and deliver this product around the UK. And that's how the product kind of came to being. And that's how the company and brand eventually came to be. And was that your Tef loaf, that first product? Yeah, that was the, yeah, so that was, um, uh, a soaked bread that we soaked for 48 hours and had 17 ingredients in it um all organic all um ancient varieties of either seed um nut or grain um and then a few other ingredients like oil um egg for the non-vegan version um some spice um so yeah that, that was that was that loaf yeah mm. I am a huge fan of Tef. I usually make crumbles with it. Nice. Um, but tell us why, what is it about Tef? And actually, maybe there's people listening to this that are like, what is Tef? Um, tell us why it's it's one of your favourite grains, if it is even a grain. Yeah, so so firstly, uh, so Tef is the seed of lovegrass and lovegrass is farmed across about 87% of Ethiopia. Um, it was the first grain ever domesticated for human consumption on the Ethiopian highlands around 8000 BC, we believe. Um, and it is the only grain to contain vitamin C. Um, so that was one of the reasons I started using it um, initially. Um, the second reason I started using it initially is um, it's the only grain in the world that you can't break into its white and bran. Um, because it's so small, it's basically the size of a poppy seed. Mm. You you really can't split it. And so because of that, it's never been bastardized the way wheat has been. Um, it's never been genetically modified. You, 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 it's it's very, very difficult. It's even even cross-pollination of different lovegrass grasses is quite difficult. Mm. Um so it's uh I guess it's been the the least manipulated grass that that exists in our world today. Mm. Um and I'm sure as your listeners are well aware, like, you know, it's the heritage ancient varieties of grains that are a lot more potent in nourishment uh, just because of their structure and root system. Um, and so it really became a central ingredient to me at the time because of its nourishment, because of its um, fiber content. Um, out of all the grains in the world, it's got the most amount of prebiotic fiber content. In terms of people who choose to eat a plant-based diet, most of the time it's really powerful. It's incredibly high in iron. I describe it as a female food, um, because I just feel like vitamin and mineral-wise, it's brilliant in managing period pain, mm-hmm. um, and just you know, just female health in general. Um, for for females that are doing a lot of cardio every day, um, and they're finding it difficult to replenish their iron stores, I find it sensational. I've got a lot of friends here in Mayo now who were iron deficient and were taking supplements. Um, and I got them on the injera at the, the Ethiopian flatbread and they they literally can't get over the difference it's making to their bodies. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's a real, it's it's a real, I hate to word, use the word superfood, but it is a super food. Mm-hmm. And I think we've always been aware of that, you know, like pharaohs used to get buried with it in the pyramids back in the day because they believed it gave them afterlife. And so, I think intuitively before we used to even have nutritional labels, you know, people knew this was an incredible food. You feel great on it. 
That's amazing. I didn't and, know that. And so there's hundreds of genomes, right? There's hundreds of genomes of of TEF. Um, and people have started planting TEF in places like Holland, in Ohio, in South Africa, uh, in Spain. But really, if you want to eat good TEF, you really need to source it from Ethiopia. The genome that's grown around the world in Ethiopia, they wouldn't grow, they wouldn't eat that particular genome. They would feed that to horses. Mm, okay. So um, it's really important. Like I know there's lots of health food stores now selling it, but it's it's not of, mm. of good quality. Mm. You touched there on female hormones, and I'm really interested to talk to you about this because I saw something on your Instagram, as you do, about your journey with PMS. Yeah. Am I right? And kind of period pain yeah. and that whole side of things. Yeah. Um, how have you managed? And 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 from what I gathered, you've you've basically managed that sort of fixed it in in yeah. inverted commas with this very high fiber diet. Um, I just would love to hear your story around that because obviously it's a, it's something that I deal with day in day out in in my clinical practice with with women who have really really bad like heavy periods, clotty periods, pain, you know, severe mood swings, and all of that stuff. Yeah. So I, I so I, I guess for me, the three things I wanted to conquer in life were number one, I wanted to try and prove that food was preventative medicine and, and, and try to alleviate people of IBS symptoms. And then, yeah, number two was my journey with period health. And then number three is going to be addiction. But number two, um, so I think for anyone that's suffering with bad period pain, my uh observation has been that those people in general have like some form of IBS or constipation or or inflammation there as well um or colitis or Crohn's or something um and so I think for me it was really important to just tackle that side of things first because I think I mean and like hormones are just so incredibly complicated Mm -hmm. and we really I I think we're still only navigating our way 30% into what what they are Mm -hmm. so um there was no real research grace for me to like look at in terms of managing period health through food. Mm -hmm. And so this part of my journey has been one of huge intuition Mm. based with like just making sense out of the science that worked on my IBS. So uh, I would have been probably similar to your patients, your, your clients, I would have been like bent over backwards, vomiting, horrendous diarrhea, like really wanted to kill myself. The Mm -hmm. pain was so bad. Um, and I got my period when I was 10 and it's been like that since I was 10 years old. And I would have been taking ibuprofen and paracetamol every day throughout my whole period. Um, and But interestingly, those those pharmaceutical drugs never gave me relief. It was kind of like they just made the pain like subside a little bit, but it was kind of still there. Um, and so over the past couple of years, um, I am really changing up how I eat and move month to month. Um, so I would say the biggest differences that I have made in my diet that have completely eradicated me of period pain have been um, increasing dietary protein at breakfast time. Um, so that's been a huge one for me. Yeah. And then really, really increasing my antioxidant intake from day 16 onwards. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh eating injera so the the Ethiopian teff flatbread um pretty much like every day or every second day just throughout throughout the month um and then things like 
things like alcohol and coffee and chocolate and all of those things tend to get a bad rep. Like I think they're always on the list of things not to do for period pain. I I only drink low intervention wine. I only have one coffee a day and it's always a really good, freshly ground coffee. Um, I only eat like kind of high quality cacao chocolate. And so I don't find those to be trigger foods for me Mm -hmm. at all. In fact, Um, if anything, I would say when I don't have low intervention wine and cacao as part of my weekly routine, I find I get bloated. Mm -hmm. Um, And so for me, it's about really using uh, foods and drinks and alcohols that are really good sources of antioxidants um, and, and fiber food. Mm, yeah. Um, and so I would say from kind of day day sixteen onwards, I I would have cacao pretty much every day in some format, um, and I'm eating whole grains three times a day with every meal, yeah. and I'm not, yeah. and I, and I'm being mindful of my dietary protein. Mm. I think. From, from what you've said there, what, what I'd really love to highlight to the listeners, because um, I always love to bring this back to the science, is that that typical PMSE picture, as I'm sure you know, is, is mainly usually down to oestrogen, uh, a prevalence of oestrogen in the body for one reason or another. It's really actually very easy for women these days to become oestrogen dominant. And it does cause, it's, it's a very proliferative hormone. It does cause breast tenderness. It causes heavy, painful periods. And there are various ways which our body detoxes estrogen. So when, when we have estrogen, it goes down different pathways in the body. It gets, it gets sorted out by these things called CYP enzymes. There's three pathways that those CYP enzymes go down. And then the third and very, very crucial detox route out of the body for estrogen is in the stool. So it has to be bound up and it has to be excreted via the bowel. So if you're not having a regular bowel movement, like in a constipation situation, then we get this recycling of estrogen from the bowel back into the body because it can't get out. So when you then increase your dietary fiber, you work on your diet, you get in those antioxidants, um, you balance your blood sugar by having a protein-rich breakfast. Actually, what we do is we open up that estrogen detox pathway again. It can escape from the body, the hormones can rebalance, and the PMS is no longer so much of an issue. So I think what's so amazing is that you've managed to come to that through just intuition and you know, figuring it out and trying different things. But actually the science behind what you've done is is pretty, it's it's just, you know, it's, it's really valid. It's kind of just, that's how the body works. Um, and yeah, we cannot separate, you know, one of the first things I ask anyone that I'm working with is like, what is your poo like? <laughs> because it's such a, it's such a vital way of understanding how the body is, is working ultimately. Um, so that's, that's fascinating. And when you um, talk about kind of increasing your antioxidants from day 16, what kind of foods are you typically looking for? What are you eating? Um, so I'm like, I would say for me, like phenolic compounds are obviously huge in coffee, wine, um, cacao and like certain vegetables. So I would drink probably low intervention wine with my dinner nearly most nights, I would say. So I'm really mm-hmm. like anti uh, binge drinking. Um, I'm really into So my approach to health is one of nourishment, dialoguing with your body um, and indulgence. So for me, mm-hmm. my approach is you live every day and make the most out of every day. So um, happiness 
like being happy is a hugely important of my like daily routine. Yeah. Um, and so whatever is conducive to that or whatever, like whatever sits comfortably and healthily within that is part of my routine. Mm. Um, and I think, you know, when you were talking about, you know, my approach has been one of intuition, yours is science. I think the thing that I have noticed most from teaching people for over 10 years now, and particularly since moving back to Ireland, is behavior can't change unless you dialogue with yourself. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes the science speak can prevent that dialogue from happening because people uh, people are afraid that unless they they go at it completely science with a science approach, they're not doing it correctly. Mm -hmm. um, and so for me, my brand is about really trying to bring those together. Mm. The, the ability to change one's behavior through actually just like forming a better relationship with themselves and how they talk to themselves and being consciously yeah. aware of the science. Um, yeah. I, 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 no, I'd say that that's exactly what I do as well, because in nutritional therapy, it's about a lot of what I do is education, giving people the tools and the understanding to go off and make those decisions for themselves, to cut through a lot of the kind of useless information that we see on, on social media and actually say, at the end of the day, you're your own best doctor. How do you feel? How does this food make you feel? What's working for you? Because nine times out of 10, the people I see are not listening to their bodies. They, yeah. They're not, um, you know, they've, they've given over the control and the responsibility to someone else, whether it's a GP that's only got 10 minutes to see them, whether it's their favourite person on Instagram that's eating a vegan diet and, you know, really healthy and they think, oh, I'll try it too. It's, mm. it's actually taking the control back and, yes, using the education and the science to maybe do some functional testing and actually run a stool test and see, you know, use that as, as, as concrete evidence, but also working very you know it, it has to be you're so right because the mind and body connection is so 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 powerful whilst doing all of this you've still got to be working on the stress response the, the happiness factor making sure people are laughing every day mm -hmm. making sure they're sleeping well they feel loved they feel safe it's it, it's just transformative when you work that way you're so right yeah and I think it, it it's um the impact that like just the people around you have on you and going for a swim every day or whatever the case may be is just so transformative mm -hmm. I think for me when people come here and, and you know they they ask me very specific questions of course you give specific answers and you teach people a way of processing food to make it more nourishing mm. and for me that's like a basic thing right that everyone should just know but I think the thing that no one can do for you is like choose the people that are in your life um you know and and choose the culture that you're in and and the climate and all that kind of stuff and i think uh, honestly grace i would say that those are the things that probably have impacted my my period health as much as as the diet has as yeah. much as those changes i make from day to day amazing so i'd love to talk to you about sourdough because over the last few years it's become very popular and a bit kind of buzzy mm. and What's really interesting is that you do get people who say, I can't eat bread, I can't have gluten, but I can eat sourdough. I'd love from your baking um, knowledge to understand, you know, 
what is it that that's going on there? And then as a second part of that question to talk about because everything is on a spectrum, isn't it, in terms of quality. There's sourdough that you can buy in the supermarket. And then there's sourdough that you can make at home where you know that you fermented it for X amount of hours. Um, and whether we can, because I'm, you know, some, I'm, I just read labels all the time. And sometimes I'll be buying sourdough and it's got yeast in. And you think, OK, well, they're just using this, this word sourdough as a mar- marketing mm. um, uh, as marketing basically so let's delve into it let's talk about sourdough um, first of all that first question of why is it so different from regular bread and why can people tolerate it when they can't have gluten and then delving into you know the difference between a loaf that you might make for example and something you'd buy in the supermarket or wherever else yeah so I guess the first thing I always say to my students here is not all sourdough is made equally uh, and you've definitely pointed that out um, so Sourdough uh, is a way of making bread that's inoculated with bacteria, lactic acid bacteria and yeasts. Um, And these uh, come from basically kind of uh, an old dough. Um, So we use old dough to inoculate um, fresh, freshly milled, hopefully freshly milled flour and water uh, with uh, strains of bacteria and yeasts that give the bread flavor. Uh, that uh, break the bread down into uh, nourishment that we can assimilate. So the fat gets broken down, the protein gets broken down to amino acids, uh, the B vitamins get increased by about 30%, the prebiotic fiber gets increased by 30%. Basically, uh, sourdough versus, let's say, a soaked bread is incredibly nourishing because you have the ability to increase what's inherent in the grain already. Mm -hmm. And that's why I find sourdough really interesting. And that's why I love making it. A white sourdough, I mean, that's got no fiber in it, right? Like that, that the bran has been taken out. It's got, it's got very, very little fiber to speak of Mm -hmm. um, and very little mineral and vitamin because most of the minerals and vitamins uh, that we need, um, especially for female health again, are, they sit on the bran of any grain, nut or seed. Um, and so, uh, yeah, sourdough, um, I had a journalist here on Saturday at the class and she's interviewed a lot of bakers and, uh, she kind of described sourdough going the same way as like Michelin star restaurants, Mm. that it's kind of this very aesthetic, sexy way of making food and eating food that actually should only be one of pleasure. And you should probably only eat that type of bread once a week. Mm. It's kind of like a treat or whatever. Um, and, and so there are many, especially around Dublin now and, and around around everywhere, like a lot of cities, I think, have, they're serving a lot of like handmade pasta, handmade sourdough, but it's completely white flour. It's double O flour or whatever. Yeah. Um, and it's probably a commercial wheat. So uh, the sourdough that we make here at the school is made from heritage, ancient population grains, we use a rice starter because a rice starter is the best starter to acidify um, the the grains that are then mixed with the starter. Uh, it gives the best flavor, in my humble opinion. It also creates breads with more shelf life. Um, and we we only make whole grain sourdough here. Mm. Um, so we don't make I, 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 I don't even teach people how to make white sourdough. Um, we put lots of porridges through them. We put the cacao through them. We put um, spent grain through them. 
Um, so my way of making sourdough is one that uh, is very dark, very, very nourishing, very potent. If you suffer with IBS, diarrhea or constipation, you're going to have a really good bowel movement after it. But if I were to eat a white sourdough, I would be a constipated, anxious wreck. Yeah. It would completely spike my insulin levels. I would be all over the place. My mental health would just go. Mm. And I and I, I know I, I can feel it happening. Um, and so sourdough is just it's a process and it's it's applied to both good grains and bad grains. Mm-hmm. And you need to be careful that you're you're buying something and eating something that has been applied to a good grain. Um, yeah. And then the. So how do people how does the sorry. So how does the consumer make that decision? Because like you said, there are loads like in London, um, for example, when I used to live there, there are loads of, of amazing bakeries popping up now, like especially in East London. And they're all making kind of artisanal artisan sorry sourdough but how do you know that the because it from what you're saying you know it's the grain that's important isn't it it's like let's strip it back to the very the bones of what's going into that bread how does the consumer make that decision how do they know um i think everyone just has to start talking like everyone just has to start asking questions like you know going into the bakery and asking them what grain are they using what flour are they using is this Mm -hmm. whole grain because lots of things get labeled as a whole grain sourdough but it might only be 10 percent whole grain right because mm. there's no there's no legislation legislating like how people are labeling bread when it's sold loosely i i mean i, I would never personally buy bread in a supermarket i think supermarkets are places that you can buy food and you can also buy paracetamol ibuprofen so fundamentally that's not a place i want to buy food mm. um and i know that's not a popular thing to say and you know there's loads of arguments around people saying they're time poor and ease and all that kind of stuff. But look, like your life is important and health doesn't actually come easy nowadays. It does mm. take work. Um, and so my my general rule of thumb is never buy bread in a supermarket. Um, and then number two, yeah, buy it from a baker, but have a conversation with that baker. Ask them questions. You know, when people come in here, I give them a list of everything that's in the bread. I tell them where I'm getting it from. You know, they see the mill. They see me milling fresh you know, they get every ounce of detail because it's impo- it's important to knowledge up. Um, and mm. then for people that say they are time poor, it is very, very easy to get starter from someone, mix that, start- just whisk that starter with some water and flour, let it sit on the countertop for a few hours and make a pancake flatbread with that. Like that's a really mm. cheap and easy way of making bread that is going to be way more nourishing than anything you can buy um yeah and, and then the other thing is the microbiome on your skin really affects uh the bread that you make um and in my humble opinion the bread that you make yourself is going to be the best bread you can eat because your own hands have touched it um mm. but Gosh, yeah it's fascinating but i i think the the biggest thing is sourdough is a nourishing way of eating bread and it is one of the most nourishing ways of eating a wheat bread because it increases the fiber content and the B vitamins. So that's great. Mm-hmm. But that's only in the case of whereby you've got a 100% whole wheat sourdough. Mm-hmm. If you're eating yeah, a white yeah. sourdough, like you are just eating calories with very little nourishment. Mm. Yeah. And the yeah. gluten, the gluten yeah. thing, like the, the gluten argument, I mean, gluten is a protein which um, helps give things rise. But when you are making really, really heavy whole grain sourdoughs 
um, fiber completely overrides gluten. So over a long ferment, so like over a retarded ferment overnight, the fiber really, really destroys the, the protein gluten mm-hmm. and it mm-hmm. becomes it becomes kind of less than 25 parts million. Like yeah. we, we have sourdoughs here, which are very safe for celiacs to eat because we ferment them for 48 hours. We're using incredibly high fiber, high fiber wheats. Um, and obviously Ulans, you know, einkorn, emer, all those old varieties. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're, we're hydrating so that the, the enzyme activity is just massive. And again, that's helping to kind of deplete the gluten over time. But mm-hmm. really the the relationship grace between fiber and gluten is fascinating and when fiber is so high gluten completely loses its control in whatever format Mm. it is whether that be a pasta or or a bread Mm. so have you only because for me i'm started i'm like oh gosh really like so have you seen people with you know genuine celiac allergies that have because you know, I know people that were sick, very, very sick with their autoimmune condition for like going on 15 years yeah. and then figured out that it was celiac. Um, are you saying then that for them, there are breads that contain gluten that wouldn't trigger their symptoms? Yeah, there's a lot of studies going on in Italy about this at the moment. So there's um, there's many, many bakers across because celiac disease is actually really, really big in, in Italy. Mm-hmm. Um, like even rural, rural parts of Sicily, you'll find like the best selection of gluten free pasta. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's lots of studies going on um, around the world, particularly in those pasta uh, eating regions mm-hmm. whereby we're just extending the ferment to mm-hmm. deplete and get the gluten down to that 25 parts per million okay. or less. Gosh, that's really interesting. Um, so the, you, you touched there about um, on, on supermarkets and I wanted to, because I've, you know, done my research, there was a quote on your website as I was digging around yesterday that really stuck with me that I thought was fantastic. Um, and you say a growing dependency on supermarkets to curate our health has made them not only food suppliers, but pharmacists as well. And I think that is beautifully put first of all and and secondly it's it really struck home for me because I'm always banging on about not letting supermarkets dictate the diversity of our diet so we know I mean gut health is still a very very new area within within the research there's still so much emerging but one thing that we do know pretty certainly now is that diversity in plant fibers is what really creates a great robust gut microbiome we have increased short chain fatty acid production when we give our gut microbiome loads of different types of fibers so you know between 30 and 50 different plant foods per week and yet when we buy from the supermarket we're just letting them give us you know, the carrots, the onions, the potatoes, and actually encouraging people to shop at a farmer's market or have a, a veg box delivery that's seasonal is just such a quick win for for diversity. So I love this idea that you said about supermarkets being pharmacies as well. And I guess that's kind of going back to what you touched on about, you know, you can buy vegetables, but you can also buy um, non-steroidal anti-inflammatories like, yeah. like paracetamol and, and ibuprofen. Is that something that you and obviously you've said, you know, don't buy bread from a from a supermarket. Like, do you ever shop in a supermarket? What what do you kind what of do I get from a supermarket? Yeah. Um, so I get my laundry detergent from a supermarket and my toilet paper uh, and basically no food. <laughs> that's it. No food. I don't get any food from a supermarket. No, that's great. Yeah, I get raw milk from my friends. 
Um, I get my uh, vegetables and fruits from Glossary, a local farm. Um, I get like, you know, fish locally to here. Um, and then my meat I get, um, I buy in bulk, like in 10 kilo boxes and freeze it from Works Farm, which is a regenerative farm mm-hmm. in, in Galway. Um, yeah. And then cheese, local raw cheeses from Alan and Savoir Fair. Um, yeah. And, and I, yeah, I mean, that, that, that's, that's it. I, I eat quite, I eat quite simply, I would say, you know, um, mm. and I, I wouldn't be using like a huge amount of like, uh imported things you know i like some olive oil salt pepper butter i yeah Mm. i eat quite simply so how do you see the future of this relationship going then between consumer and and supermarket i mean i think i think people are i think people are asking questions a bit more Mm. they are shopping local a, a bit more and i think actually almost the covid crisis retaught people to do that because we had those food shortages at the supermarket and all of a sudden it was your local grocer or your local bit butcher that had the supply to to suit the demand and I think you know both you and I are really passionate about regenerative agriculture and it needs to come from the consumer doesn't it because we need to increase the demand for you know small farms um small small growers small producers but I guess there's always going to be the supermarket giant um, and I think it is important to note that for many people, whether it's to do with, you know, cost or accessibility, like there is always going to be that supermarket presence. Um, would you agree with that? Um, OK, so I think the most disappointing thing that happened when I came back to Ireland was seeing the landscape flooded with Aldi's and Littles mm. um, and then seeing the greenwashing that's going on in their marketing. Right. Um, I. I don't think this is a ground up approach. I don't think the consumer is strong enough to battle capitalism. I think like governments should be taking more responsibility to create spaces and communities for farmers markets Mm -hmm. instead of giving huge amount of spaces to corporates. Yeah. Aldi, Lidl, Tesco, everything. Um, And there are supermarkets both here in Ireland and in the UK and, and abroad around the world that are trying to do the best they can. But fundamentally, like rent is really expensive. It's really, really hard for people like me to run businesses mm-hmm. um, and to nourish people. It's like we had a we had a range of breads in Planet Organic at one point. Um, and that was a loss making thing for me, right? right? Because the margin that Planet Organic we're asking for was way more than the margin we were making um and then any any waste that they ever had week to week we had to we had to absorb that right so even in stores that are really trying hard to create something in a marketplace where where they're trying to bring better product to the consumer even then the rents and just capitalism makes it really really hard mm. to to nourish people so my faith in supermarkets getting like if supermarkets are to get bigger that just means they need to continue farming big. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. they can't be farming heirloom varieties or heritage varieties of seeds. Um, like I know the founder of Riverford did a really good blog post actually on this um, during COVID about, about the seeds that they plant to deliver the, the level of veg- vegetable quality that you can get in the UK mm. um, at that price point. Look, it's a really unsexy thing to say to people, make more time and eat better, no matter what your conditions. But 
what gives me hope is when we were selling in London, I had a lot of customers living in council flats and they were spending their money with me because they said to me, we know that by buying your bread, we are going to live better lives mm. and we're happy to spend less money on, on food mm. or, or on clothes or whatever it is. But like Grace, I think we live in a world where people, they want to, they want to holiday. They yeah. want, they've created a life where they need to get away. They need to go on a holiday. Mm. They need to drive some sort of a nice car. They need to buy clothes because they, they have a need for happiness that they're not like, I would say to people that through nourishing yourself and eating well and living in a place and being around people that make you happy, your need for holidaying, new clothes and new things goes down massively. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think I, I, I think what has to happen is governments need to be governments need to take the health of communities way more seriously. We need to create spaces across the world for more farmers markets and town halls that sell, you know, country fair and stuff. Um, and, and quite possibly, you know, when when electric vehicles do come into play, we need to get those on the roads and, and be delivering, you know, across community, whatever has been produced in that community. Mm, um, yeah. But I, I have no faith in supermarkets being able to change in our lifetime. No, mm. I think they'll only make the farming situation worse before it gets better. Yeah, I, I, I think I, I agree with you. Um, and I think it's refreshing to hear someone say that it's not you know it shouldn't all be on the consumer to make those changes we actually need the education and the help to be able to to do so um so to i guess my final sort of question is and i think we've covered a lot of ground that's been like really kind of diverse and it's been just so nice to kind of talk what is um so at the moment with the happy tummy co you've got your your teach facility where you're running classes and you're really just educating people and giving them the tools to go away and make good bread what is you know what's the future what's what's the goal you know where do you see or where do you want to see your business go um so uh, yeah initially i i want to educate as many people as i can um in a couple of weeks we're launching the subscription bread service here in ireland so we'll be delivering all of our breads on a weekly basis um, and then we are going to start delivering back into the UK again because a lot of my Great. customers there are asking for the bread. Um, but I do, I, I, I want to get a bigger space where we can produce the breads that we make here at, at, a, at a much bigger scale. Um, and I want to get into schools here in Ireland and I want uh, preventative medicine to become a part of the school curriculum. Mm. Um and so, yeah, for me, it's just it's just continuing to teach people for the rest of my life um, and get the product out to people that that don't want to make it themselves. Mm. Um, interestingly, Grace, what does tend to happen here is people will come, they'll do the day class. It changes their life and they go home, they, they make the breads, but actually they kind of they want me to continue making the breads for them. So, yeah, it, it, it's really interesting that the class is is more okay, now I get it. I'm going to spend 20 pounds on bread because it took you three days to make that bread. And I understand how it made me feel on the day. And, you know, to your point about the the, the 30 varieties of plants. So at lunch here at the school, we serve 30, 30 varieties of plants with the lunch. Um, and mm. then just a note on, you were saying um, back in the day, we had a greater diversity in our guts from a diet that was full of diversity. Mm. 
Um, so back in the day, farmers used to have about 30 varieties of grasses in any field. And so that meant that you had 30 grasses going into your flower bag, legumes, mm. peas, grains, all that kind of stuff. Um, and now, obviously, when you buy a bag of flour, it's only one variety. Yeah. So, you know, bread in the past was a very easy way of getting diversity into the diet. Mm. And so because that doesn't really happen in the field anymore, that's why I, I had 17 ingredients in the chia teff loaf. Right. So we use the kitchen to get that diversity in. Yeah, that's amazing. Honestly, fantastic. And I wish that I was in Ireland so that I could <laughs> buy some of your bread. <laughs> but hopefully, hopefully soon. When do you think you'll be delivering to the UK? Just because most of my listeners are UK based and I'm sure they want to get involved yeah. now having heard this. Um, so we'll probably be delivering into the UK kind of towards the end of October. Um, and because of, you know, delivery and stuff being expensive, the idea there will be We'll deliver a month supply at a time mm-hmm. and you you freeze through the loaves and you you have one there now um but through freezing the breads you actually also increase the prebiotic fiber content so that's a good thing how does that work that, that what's the mechanism behind that we we don't know we don't know we've tested okay. it and we know it to be true but we don't really know how interesting yeah and it's the same it's same with potatoes actually if you freeze potatoes and defrost them test them they've got more prebiotic fiber content in them wow that's really fascinating gosh yeah now my mind's like i'm just trying to think why that might be but uh, yeah how interesting if you come up with a reason get back to me yeah i will um thank you so much for talking to us today uh, where can people find you on on the internet space if they want to get in touch uh so the website is the um and instagram is happy tummy co and i've been logged out I, facebook isn't working for me anymore so i'm never on facebook oh yeah but instagram and the website okay great perfect well thank you so much it's been amazing to talk to you thank you so much grace thank you so much again for tuning in to state of mind with me grace kingswell i love putting this podcast into your earbuds next week i'm talking about iron metabolism And I hope you stick around. It'll be a great episode. We also have an episode coming up on the vaginal microbiome, thrush, UTIs, all of that good stuff. If you haven't already reviewed in the Apple Podcast app, do go ahead and give a five-star review. It really helps. And I'll talk to you all very soon. Bye-bye.